Hey, welcome back. Uh, before we get started, please remember to subscribe if you haven't or like the video. Uh, consider leaving a comment and if you'd like to tip me, you can do so at xlantic.com or climb the link tree and there's a lot of other options too. Uh, I have a lot more content uh, on xlantic.com uh, as well as on my Substack where there's exclusive essays. So for this video, uh, I gave a talk uh, to a group of people in person uh, last weekend uh, and so I will be um, expanding a little bit on that talk, uh, including um, providing uh, resources as well as uh, inline videos that, that came up in the Q&A section. Uh, so um, I hope you like it. And if you would like me to come give a talk at your organization, uh, my email is in the description. Um, I also give virtual presentations. So uh, I think that this talk ended up being a, a pretty good uh, intro into why this topic is important. Uh, why we all need to be concerned about it, and why it is harmful to medically transition, i.e. Uh, give drugs and surgeries to minors especially, in an attempt to make them look like something they're not. For reasons of privacy, I did not record the introduction to this speech, but the woman that introduced me, for reasons I don't, I don't fully understand, saw fit to introduce me as somebody that was there to give a talk on how to be more trans-inclusive and said that the reason that she'd invited me was to uh, teach them about about, about trans-related words for that end. And I, I genuinely considered running. I, I almost just grabbed my laptop and bolted. I, I looked to the door and, and considered it for several seconds. As I realized what what she had apparently thought I was there to talk about, thinking thinking about how I'd set up the Jazz Jennings dilator scene for this room full of thirty five or forty women who I didn't know, but we don't run. We we give the talk anyway, and we take stock of whether we could probably get to the door before they storm the front of the room. And I, I just, I just made a judgment call that that my physical safety was probably, probably okay, given given the particular crowd I was speaking to. So hi, um, I am going to be giving a talk about uh, my my take on gender gender issues. But first, I'm going to start with a bit about me, uh, and before that, as I had started, we're going to talk a little bit about what you guys know. Uh, you had just shown your hands for what um, who's heard the word gender, who's heard the word transgender. Uh, non-binary. Uh, there's there's all all sorts of terms flying about, and people have different ideas about what it is and uh, what should be done about it. Um, a little bit about my background. Uh, I went to UC Berkeley, and I got a degree in gendered women's studies in uh, well, when did I graduate? 2011 um, is when I walked the stage, <laughs> and so. At that time, I was identifying first as a, a trans man, and then as a later as a as a non show mode. So that was a whole nother life. And so, as, as you as you can see, I've now detransitioned. Is everybody familiar with the word detransition? No. What that means? No. Okay. So the word detransition is when somebody identifies as trans or transgender or non-binary, and then later they decide, you know what, it, it's not really for me. It's, it's not my thing. Uh, and it's becoming more and more common these days uh, because more and more people are going through a phase of identifying as trans. 
And it's important, I think, to support people when they're in that phase. But it's also very important to recognize that for a lot of the people, especially lately, it is, in fact, a phase. There, there, there's an idea that it's never a phase, and you should rush into these hormonal and medical transition interventions. Um, and that's left a lot of people harmed. And so my work is aimed at talking about um, what I believe to be the ways that, that they're not getting informed consent about these interventions, about how there's an ideology surrounding who identifies as trans or non-binary and why, and just a general sense that, that if, if you think you are, then that means you are, and that means you should just go for it, to the point where they're starting to do it more and more with, with young people, with including minors. So with that being said, here's some basic terminology. Do you want to put it in slideshow mode? Yes. Thank you. Uh, as we just uh, kind of covered, trans kind of means a person that either identifies as the sex that's the opposite of the sex that they are. And that's probably the definition that you're most familiar with because that's the uh, original one, the old, old, old-fashioned version. Uh, when the non-binary term was kind of coined and discovered, uh, it shifted a bit. And so now when some people say trans and they're, they're so-called trans non-binary, that means that they're not so much saying I'm the other sex, they're saying I'm not this sex. I'm, I'm something else, I'm some third option. So that changes the goal of transitioning in these medical interventions that are being done. Whereas in the past, the transition goal was to look like the other sex for non-binary types, people, which I was for, for a bit at the end of being the old, older, old-fashioned version, um, the goal is to, to transition from female to not female versus female to male. And so that's, that's kind of the idea behind the they-them pronoun. It's, it's don't, don't refer to me as either of, of, the, of the more popular sex options. <laughs> um, next... Uh, you'll hear the word perform and present a lot, and th- that refers to basically how you're dressing, how you're acting, whether you're acting in ways that are socially ex- expected for your sex uh, category or not. Um, and uh, um, cis or cisgender refers to when individuals, um, there's a few ways that they define it. And some people don't really like this definition. The idea is that, that you are cis if uh, you identify with expectations and stereotypes attached to your sex. And, of course, that, that kind of goes against the idea that, that you know, women can be anything. It is this idea that, like, well, I'm, if I don't want to be a man or if I don't want to be not a woman, that means that I like how the culture I, I, sees women. And I, and I want to be what the culture expects women to be. And so some, some women who don't identify as trans or non-binary might still find that to be a bit constraining and a bit insulting. They're like, just because I'm okay with my body, that doesn't mean that I'm, I like what's expected of women in this culture and I don't want to change it. Um, and then D-trans I already covered. That's where you had this identification in the past. Uh, some have this idea that there's a split between D-trans and D-cyst, and the difference there is whether or not they had a medical intervention. Um, for people who are in the mindset, the ideology, um, there's no such split. You're, you're just as trans regardless of whether you've had this intervention or not. But, but once you come out, then they really want to know, what, what did you have done? 
is gender identity. So gender identity, and this is my opinion, not everyone agrees, uh, but it's, it's basically, to me, it seems to be a soul concept. It's, it's how you identify what you feel inside. And at this point in time, there's no material evidence that this entity exists independent of what a person thinks about it. So a person has a gender identity that means what they, they want to be. In other words, what they feel like they should have been, their, their emotional sense of themselves, some, some other entity that can be born in the wrong body. You may have heard that phrase. It's hard to be born in the wrong body if you don't exist apart from the body and then get put into a body. And so that, to me, that's a soul concept. Um, which, you know, lots of people have soul concepts. Not, not, not harsh in that, but... Um, the, it's, it's fundamentally at this at this time. There's no evidence that it, that it's measurable, or or um, something that can be objectively verified. You have to ask the person, and then they tell you. And so these expectations that we that we uh, do things like use pronouns, or for instance, allow people who are male to be put into women's prisons, which is happening in this state, California, right now. Um, that's kind of a requirement that, that I pretend to believe that I agree or to pretend to believe that I that I that I agree with your what what you're saying. That I that I have to trust you, trust you to tell me that this immaterial, unverifiable entity exists and act as if I believe that, that, that that's real. When there's no objective evidence that it's real. And there is objective evidence of who is male and who is female. Alright. Um, so a lot of my work has been teasing apart these two different main denominations, which would be, I call it trans-classic. That would be the idea that there's two genders, man and woman, and sometimes people can have the wrong gender identity and the wrong gender like body. And so, so you, have, you, have, you have two sexes and two genders, and they can be flipped, and so the goal of transition is to switch. Uh, that's, that's one group. They typically believe and will say that, that gender identity is some sort of developmental process. It forms by age three, and it's just fixed across the lifespan. You can't change it. So the only option is to change the person's body to match the gender entity, the gender identity. Um, and that comes in stark contrast to people who identify as non-binary. They typically don't believe that it develops at a particular point in the lifespan. They're more open to the idea that you can develop a gender identity later in life. Uh, they believe that your gender identity can change, and they believe in a lot more gender identities than the original two. So this is the group that will believe that there's an infinite number of genders, there's 70 genders, there's, there's, there's pan-gender, there's gender fluid, gender flux, agender, bigender, um, things of that nature. Um, and so, so you have kind of a fundamental irreconcilable split here that, that to me represents a schism. Uh, and so, so if you feel when you're trying to have a conversation with somebody about this topic and you feel like they're telling you something different than what somebody else told you, you're, you're not imagining it. And you're, not, you're not just failing to understand it. Different groups are saying very different things. And so in my work, I have gone and gotten a lot of primary sources of individuals who are in this movement talking about their reasons for gender transitions or talking about um, their theory for it or uh, including medical experts, including people who are 
transitioning themselves, um, parents of kids that are being transitioned. Um, and, and I just kind of compare and contrast and say, this is what this person is saying, and this is in contrast to what this person is saying. And they can't both be true. So um, I consider it an ethnographic project, meaning I am trying to get a, a wide cross-section of a culture as it exists right now. Uh, I've, been, I've been doing this for about two years. Um, and so I have various videos on, on, on different platforms. My work is a bit controversial, to say the least. Uh, and so why, why I believe that you should care about this topic. And as, as much as I believe that young people especially need to have the freedom to express themselves and the freedom to participate in movements within reason, within safety, and, and we should make reasonable accommodations for different religious preferences and different uh, disabilities because gender dysphoria is a disability if it's, if it's affecting your functioning in this country. We need to care about it because right now we're making unreasonable accommodations for it that are putting women at risk and girls at risk. And so one of the unreasonable accommodations that I mentioned already is that we are putting uh, men in women's prisons and facilities. And that is putting women at risk of all sorts of problems. And these are, these are men who are self-identifying as women, so they haven't had anything done, necessarily. They're, they're fully capable of doing everything that they could have done prior to deciding that they felt like the other sex. Um, another issue is that women's sex-based rights in law, for instance, our right to vote, it, it's contingent on the idea that sex is real. So the 19th Amendment explicitly mentions sex. If you get rid of the idea that there is a sex difference, all, all of the secondary features of sex, like our capacity to get pregnant, our capacity to, to lactate, our capacity, our, our, our genetic differences that are not disabilities, because being a female is not a disability, so we're not protected under the ADA. Once you get rid of, of that, it's, it's not a racial category, it's not a national origin, it's not a religious belief. How, how are we protected from discrimination on the basis of our sexual traits if we're not protected on the basis of sex, if, we, if we've eliminated that in law? Uh, how, how, how can we measure, for instance, that girls in school are getting equal opportunities and funding if we don't know which students are the girls? How, how do we measure to make sure that, that we don't just have a boys team and a trans girls team that's also still the boys team? These are very practical considerations that, that, that are, are being pushed aside on, on the idea that the people asking them are bad. But, but women fought very, very hard to get these rights protected in law. Um, in my opinion, gender identity ideology is being used to medically abuse certain children. And so I'm going to talk about a very prominent example named Jazz Jennings. Who's heard of Jazz Jennings? The show I Am Jazz on TLC. So we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, and finally, we are, we are paying for these boondoggles, uh, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about some examples, um, that are turning healthy people into very severely disabled people. And these are healthy people who may not have the mental competence due to a psychological disability called gender dysphoria that's not being treated appropriately, in my opinion. And it, so, so for me, the reason I detransitioned is I got a lot of therapy. I got a lot of therapy, a lot of talk therapy, several times a week for years, where I just talked and talked and talked and talked, and eventually I realized it didn't matter so much what sex I was. It just didn't matter. Other things mattered more. 
So, so the, the preoccupation went away without having to do anything. And I'm very fortunate because I know a lot of people who are also detransitioners, but they've undergone amputations or they've undergone massive skin graft transplants attempting to, to create a facsimile. Or, or, or they've taken hormones that have damaged their voice and left them in, in pain. I know one woman, she talks regularly on Twitter about uh, how she, she's in pain every day from her voice. It, and and it, she's, she's, got, she's healed a lot from going off the testosterone. She was not on it for very long. But it still hurts, just the, the effort of speaking. And this is her, her job, of course. She's, she's a professional singer. Pronouns I mentioned. Um, it's it's one thing to, to choose to freely accommodate another person to the extent that you're able, where that's where that's a free choice. But when you require it in a in a work setting or in a school setting, you're going to quickly run afoul of protections for people with speech disabilities, with language disabilities, people who speak English as a second language. So this can be used as a, as a vehicle to marginalize those people and create, create a hierarchy where people who have a high level of, of uh, English competence, who have high language facilities due to a lack of disability, they, ri- they will rise to the top and they will be seen as being less bigoted in some way and less, less transphobic than people that are naturally make these errors more. Um, and so, so uh, I've, I've had parents reach out to me saying that their kids are being um, mistreated in a school setting because the kid has ADHD or autism and, and pronouns have been shown to be um, more difficult for those students, even under the best of circumstances. And they're, they're, they're having difficulty um, doing what their, their classmates want and they're, they're being subject to punishment as a result. And if, if you know a kid in that situation, um, the IEP process can be used to your advantage where you can have as an IEP accommodation uh, that the child does not have to use preferred pronouns of other students. But then, of course, you end up where rights are in conflict, and we don't have the case law for that yet of who wins. I want to talk a little bit about puberty blockers. Uh, pu- who's heard of puberty blockers? So puberty blockers are a class of medication that was originally created to um, treat prostate cancer. They have also been used to uh, uh, castrate sex offenders who have been sentenced to that. Uh, what they do is they act on an area of the brain that, that produces a hormone that then is what maintains the gonad, and then the gonad then produces hormones that allow that do other things. And so if you give that to a child, and they're also given for precocious puberty, meaning a six-year-old who starts puberty too early, um, it will stop their puberty processes by stopping this process that, that then matures the gonad, that then matures the body. Um, in the context for gender identity, they're being given to children who don't have any sort of like metabolic developmental problem that can be identified, that are going through puberty at the normal time, and the point is to stop the puberty. And in my opinion, that's the same thing as putting... Um, is, is stunting a plant, and we're told that that's reversible. But if, if you've ever you know gardened, you know that that if you stunt a plant, it's never going to be what it would have been um, when once you you restore that. There's critical periods of development, and when you give this medication, you are 
cutting off the hormones that develop the gonads, leading the gonads to not develop. And then the gonads are not producing other hormones that develop the bones and develop other fa- factors of the body, including, including the voice, and, but also the brain. And we really don't know what the long-term implications of that are going to be. We do know from some kids like Jazz Jenning that sexual dysfunction that, that seems to be irreversible according to very prominent pro-trans doctors like Marcy Bowers, who, teach, who is a part of the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, has said that, that, that it just doesn't, they, they, they can't restore the sexual function. So, so we're talking about kids that have never experienced that, so they don't know what they're missing. They don't know, they don't know what they've lost. Other risks uh, include the fact that because you're not mineralizing the bones correctly, one one of the, the con- common uh, not common but one of one of the co- possible consequences is that um, the bones will not become as dense as they should have been because of the lack of estrogen, because of the lack of testosterone during these critical periods where the bones are increasing in size due to other developmental processes that are not being disrupted by puberty in the same way. Uh, puberty blockers, and um, you can end up with with uh, issues such as that the the cap of the femora, the femur, actually will slip. So it's it's called slip femoral epiphysis, and it's it's it just can be be disabling. And so I'm going to show a video of somebody that was put on puberty blockers. Uh, I don't know that he has this particular consequence, but you can see from his gait that something is just something is different. And this is another a famous example who had a. Um, he also had a, a so-called bottom surgery, meaning he had the elaborate genitalia reconfiguration when he was still a minor. It was a very famous case. He's a singer named Kim Petrus. Uh, and so when they tell you it's not being done to minors, that it's, just, it's just a lie. It's just a lie. There's very famous cases where it's been done to minors. So let's talk a little bit about Jazz Jennings. So this is uh, Jazz Jennings. Jazz uh, reached for the wrong swimsuit when he was five, and as a result, his uh, mother started him down this path of uh, male-to-female transition. He was on with Barbara Walters. He was on with an Australian news crew. I think he talked to Dr. Drew at one point. He just, they did the whole circuit, and then they, they put a puberty blocker implant in his arm when he was 11. This is Jazz when he was about, I think, 15 or 16. Um, during this whole time, he was basically living on The Truman Show, if you've ever seen that movie, where he was um, on a TV show as he's growing up, where he's, it's, it's been going this whole life like that. Um, and uh, once they put the puberty blocker in his arm, very shortly after that, they started him on estrogen and progesterone. And as I mentioned, the puberty blockers are stopping another set of hormones that goes between the brain and the gonad before you get to the gonad making estrogen and progesterone. Those hormones are not being replaced. And we know that those hormones have significant and poorly understood uh, developmental roles in the development and, and um, maintenance of, the, uh, of your neurology. And they're implicated in several neurodegenerative diseases of aging. So, so we, we really don't know what we're setting these kids up for by not allowing their systems to develop correctly. So... Um, they very quickly took him off the progesterone because of what they, they described as, as these serious mental health consequences. They did not take the puberty blocker implant out of his arm. They did not take him off the estrogen. They did not put him on testosterone. They did not let him go through puberty. They just tried to tweak it. 
so that they can continue to cosmetically change him, similar, in my opinion, to breeding a dog, um, and, and hope for the best. And he continued to go downhill. Uh, his uh, genitalia never developed, and that was uh, something that they t- discussed at length in the show. They brought him around to several doctors who marveled at how much like a, like a little boy he looked. And, and it just, it was actually a problem because then when they went to do the bottom surgery, which was done when he was 17, not 18, they didn't have enough tissue because it hadn't been allowed to develop. And so it was, it just didn't work. So he's had at least two additional ones trying to fix it that then left, uh, I don't know if you can see down here, very significant scarring where they had to then take large strips of of flesh to to try to fix it. And all of this happened because of the puberty blockers. And then this is Jazz more recently, uh, after the, the, the surgery where his, his gonads were removed entirely, leaving him permanently sterile. Uh, and after he was rendered without sexual function, although even before then he said he'd never had any sexual feelings at 17. Ne- never had any, any of those sensations. On, on the, a TV show, where we're all talking about this on TV, because that's just what you do with kids, apparently, in this day and age. Uh, he put on 100 pounds and has struggled to lose that weight. And my suspicion, based on another genetic condition that also affects the hypothalamus, also affects the natural production of the hormone that, that, that puberty blockers mimic, it's called Prader-Willi syndrome, that condition causes compulsive binge eating. It's called, it, it causes a condition called hypothalamic obesity. And so I uh, suspect that there's some degree of hypothalamic dysregulation behind some of this. Although it, it could also just be that, that there's some dysregulation that's, that's just from the fact that he's been through so much profound trauma at this point, unimaginable trauma. All because when he was five, he wanted to wear the wrong swimsuit. When he was three, he apparently said, I, a girl, and, and they took it seriously. So, you know, it's just let him wear the swimsuit. Let him, let him dress how he wants to dress, I think. But I, I don't think any of this was in his best interest long term. And I really don't know what his lifespan is going to be. You know, these, these hormones are very important in, in for, throughout the body, throughout the lifespan. For, for, for females to males, for instance, when they remove the uterus, we have a lot of evidence that, that women that get their, his, their uterus removed younger are at a significantly increased risk of early onset dementia. And we don't fully understand why that is. And so these systems are complex and these hormones play a significant role in the maintenance of the systems and we are just completely messing around with them so that they can socially mimic the sex that they aren't. And there's, there's no going back for him. You know, he was completely permanently sterilized and, and, and completely robbed of all of this function before he was even out of his parents' house. Before he'd graduated, or just after, rather, he graduated high school, they did this. I'd like to play a clip from this show. It might be a bit disturbing, but this was broadcast on national television. So, do you guys, is that okay? Yeah. All right. This particular one was from season seven, and then there's also going to be a clip that I've spliced in from, I believe, season six. And season seven was last was uh, was uh, we're on season eight just started, and so season seven was was airing um, at the beginning of 2022. So, is recent. I believe it was filmed in 21. 
20 or 21. Jazz, can you come here? Why is your dilating gel in front of my TV? Oh, I knew I left it somewhere. And the elephant comes out. I dilate in here sometimes while watching TV. Dilation is a process that comes along with bottom surgery. Okay, you can take the gel back in the room with you yes, when you're done, Yes, I can though. take the gel you back. You don't have to right now. Here. Basically, there's just no right answer. You take this long acrylic object and insert it up your vaginal canal so that you maintain depth and width. It's really important that you do this because if you don't, your vagina will start closing up and it'll lose its depth and you won't be able to use it properly. Well, I love you both. Thank you for always supporting me. I'm going to continue stepping into my identity as an independent adult and I just can't do it without either of you. So thanks for being by my side. He's clearly furious at them. We love you. Love We're you. Always All right, have a good night. Bye. Don't forget to dilate. I have woken Jazz out of a dead sleep and taken the dilator and put the lubrication on it and said, here, you take this and you put it in your vagina. If not, I will. But Jazz is bad, even when I'm home once a day. Sorry, I showed that clip because I want to really emphasize what, what, what his day-to-day is like how abusive the situation has been for him and how it's just been allowed to go on for years on national television because we're all too afraid, I believe, to, to push back against the idea that, that Jazz could have known at age three that this is the life he wanted and that, that even if he thought he did, that this is okay to do to a kid. So I, I've been reacting to the series in a, a series called I Am Jazz's Waking Nightmare because this is his waking nightmare that will not end, uh, that, I, that I, I've... Um, it's kind of, uh, I've, I've acquired a, a mild following as a result of that. Um, so I, I just respond to it so that people will watch it. I, I make jokes, I, I put in humorous clips where I can because it's really horrifying and otherwise people won't watch, <laughs> like I think. Um, so so this, this segment is from one of my episodes where, where I call attention to that. And I've taken this particular clip out and just, just had it be standalone for people to send to people to be like, how can you how can anyone defend this like she's talking about waking him up and demanding that he he dilate and and he has no choice in the matter and if 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 he doesn't she will no matter how much it hurts him no matter whether he wants to or not and this has been going on since he was a minor i don't understand why they're not in prison i really don't the parents parents, yeah and they're 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 rich and season eight just started as i mentioned like it just started i just started reacting to it entertainment for years yeah propaganda and, and, and inspiration for a lot of other kids to be like, I'm trans too, and to get signed up for this. Yeah, it's absolutely going on right now. Um, and, and even though he's had this, this nightmarish outcome, and, and I've got one episode called The Blood Blister Burst, and it's, it's, it, it just gets worse. It does not, the show does not bottom out, and they bully him relentlessly on the show too. Like it's it's he's clearly been developmentally impacted by these these interventions, and he doesn't quite get that everybody's being mean to him, and that's is outrageous in my opinion. I, I get emotional. So this is what I talked a bit earlier about the um, slipped femoral cap. So because um, these these two bones are are they're, it's a growth plate, right? So as you're growing, these two bones are not connected. And the sex hormones are what causes them to fuse and for you to stop getting taller. If you put a kid on puberty blockers at the age that they're supposed to be developing and for these bones to be fusing, one thing that can happen is that they get so heavy 
that it causes the, the femoral, this bone, to, to actually, the growth plate to slip apart from it and to, to, to fuse wrong. And this can, of course, affect gait later. And so you can see different levels at which this can happen. It can be mild, moderate, severe. And then, and then it just fuses that way. And then, of course, they have to go and break it and try to, try to fix it that way, or they need a hip replacement. And so I suspect, I don't know for sure, but I suspect that that's what's causing Kim Petrus, which you can see this in any performance he's in. He cannot, like, go upstairs normally. He needs help getting up and getting down. And Kim Petrus had the bottom surgery at 16. They actually petitioned to get around a German law so that he could do that after he had been put on the same regimen as Jazz. Uh, and so this is a video where Kim is running around at a TikTok, and, you'll, and I, I comment on it. going to call attention to Kim Petrus's range of motion in his hips. Is that how you run? Notice the jump cut, and Kim's about to climb into a fridge, has to pivot in order to raise his leg. Here we have Kim performing some stunts, as usual, having some people there ready to catch him if he falls. Uh, here's one coming up. Wow. That was, that was risky. And of course the pole is right there for support too. Ugh, that looked painful. For this one, compare the range of motion and, and uh, ease of uh, squatting with the partner. Uh, compare how fluid the motion is compared to the partner. It's very, very jerky. Not able to go as low. And part of this, of course, is that Kim... Uh, for this, this last one is um, and a person who transitioned as an adult and seems like he's, uh, she rather, is, is with it, is, is competent, but you can kind of see that there's severe, severe denial about the situation that she's in now, that the doctors have placed her in, and she was perfectly healthy at the start of this. So phalloplasty is a very complex surgery. The surgery itself took about 12 and a half hours, meaning... A lot of complications can happen out of phalloplasty. I had a complication with phalloplasty. Um, I got what's called a stricture uh, or a fistula. What that means is I need something now called urethroplasty, which means a complete rebuild of my urethra, which means I've been having a suprapubic tube, which is a catheter, um, in place for about seven months and they have to change it every month so I've gotten it changed just about seven times now it's very uncomfortable when they're changing it um, it's not something that I would <laughs> want anyone to go through but it is something that I am going through it is a complication and these are some of the things that you don't really think about when you get phalloplasty you never think well gee you know I'm not gonna be able to pee and I'm going to have to have a catheter for seven months. These are things that you just never think about. Um, and it is something that's happened to me. Yeah, no young person thinks it's going to happen to me. I'm going to be the one that ends up having to get my superpubic catheter changed once a month for seven months. No one thinks it's going to happen to me. Especially not young people who they are putting on this assembly line, who are they are signing this up for. Especially not young people who are so healthy that the idea of extensive cosmetic genital surgery seems like a good time. You have to be very medically privileged to think that that sounds like a good idea. Your judgment has to be bad due to lack of experience to think that that's, that's, that's how you want to spend your summer vacation. It's wrong that they're doing this. 
but I don't let it get me down because it's just a bump in the road. And you know what? Always look on the bright side of life. Out of all of the surgeries I've had and everything that I've been through, five years down the, the line, I'm gonna look and be like, wow, that was just a very small bump in the road. Always look on the light side of life. I know it feels catastrophic right now, but it's just a small bump in the road to be completely whole and to have achieved the ultimate happiness. If life seems jolly rotten, there's something you forgot. And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing. And it's worth it. It really is worth it. When you're feeling in the dumps, don't be silly chumps. Just purse your lips and whistle. That's the thing. I'm going to watch the rest. Uh, so... This, this person lost the ability to whistle as a result of their phalloplasty complication because they had to take part of their cheek to make a new urethra after the urethra that they made out of the arm failed immediately. Immediately. Like, like, like one, because their, their, their goal is to stand to pee. That's, that's the holy trans rite of standing to pee. It's a ritual. They want to do it. He had one, she had one good go. Then it, then it closed right up. So then they had to go in and take the cheek. And now, now she's in a situation where, where this phallus, and she, she's used the term hot dog. She's used the term filet. It is split open. And it's going to be like that for months. While, while, and then at the end of that period, they hope when they stitch it up, it won't immediately fail again. You know, fingers crossed. I'm, I'm watching with bated breath. But she has lost the ability to whistle. She has lost the ability to kiss. And she's about to get married. She's going to get married in a couple of months. She has lost the ability to kiss, to make this face. And she has also lost the ability to chew. And as a, as a speech pathologist, I know a lot of implications of that. You know, we do chewing disorders. It's one of the things we do. So she cannot eat her favorite food anymore, which was baby carrots, apparently. So she talks about it at length on her TikTok. Still in complete denial about the fact that this is not going to get better. This is, this is just her life now. She still is very focused on, like, it's all going to be fine eventually. You know, I call it gender Jesus wouldn't lead me astray. <laughs> Doctors shouldn't be allowed to sign healthy young people up for this, I don't think. Anyway, um, so this, la this last video is a little bit of a palate cleanser for <laughs> all of the surgery stuff. Um, and it, this is uh, me uh, trolling a trans activist on TikTok by claiming to be an assigned female at birth trans woman and complaining that other trans women don't accept me as a trans woman just because I'm female. <laughs> not getting it. Not getting it at all. <laughs> For multiple TikToks. Been supported by other transgender women. Um, is it they're jealous of me? No, we're not jealous of you. We're just annoyed at the fact that you're trying to take our label because it's our label that we've fought very hard, very, very hard to keep that label. And you're now trying to take it away and make it your thing. You was born a female, you are now a female still. So you are a cis female. I was born a male, if you can't tell. And I am now a female. That means I'm a trans woman. I have actually, I have to go through surgeries and hormones and all of this to get to where I want to be. But your body does it naturally because you was born a female. That means you're a cisgender woman. You're not a trans woman. We aren't jealous of you. We're just different than you. 
it's not that hard to understand. You're just not a trans woman. You're a cis female. Because she was born a female, you're still a female. You're a cis female. End of. Like, stop taking our label. We need to talk about the marginalization of AFAB transgender. Okay, I need someone to try and explain AFAB trans women to me. Because trans is going from one to the other. That's why we have trans. That's why it's called trans. That's why we also have cis, because it means the same as, meaning the same as what you was born as. So if you're assigned female at birth and you live as a female, that means you are a cisgender female. If you're assigned male at birth and you live as a female, that means you're a trans woman. You cannot be a trans woman and born a female at birth. That's not how it works. You can't say, I go from one gender to the other, transition, but I was born the gender I identify as. Like, that's not how it works. Like... I've just had an argument with her in some comment section, so I was like, I'm going to go watch her videos. And this is what I find? Like, it's a joke. It's got to be a joke. And I am going to do a part two, because I feel like it. Using the label of a trans woman, so it's watering down the label of trans woman. All right, that's the end of my talk. About the term cis, what's the derivation? Because when I think of adopted kids, they say birth parents. I think of myself as a birth woman. Um, so, so uh, there, there's 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 theories on where it exactly came from. Um, given the fact that they tend to call me sissy to insult me, I I, I think they started at sissy and worked backwards. But there is there is a um, an antonym pair of cis and trans in chemistry, which means uh, um, across from or on the same side of. Oh, okay. So it doesn't it doesn't quite make a lot of sense once you get into the non-binary territory. But it sort of makes sense if you're in trans classic of cis and trans. And so so that's where the the term comes from, okay. according to them. Um, and yeah, otherwise uh, that's my my talk. So. I've, I've uh, got other TikToks, other videos. I think I think I've got about 750 uploads. So I've, I've got a quite a quite a bit of content if you want to see what what exactly is going on. Um, and it's at excellentic.com or I have I have a YouTube right now. I get banned periodically because it's controversial and people mass report me. But I think it's important, so I'm going to keep doing it. I just wonder where you start on this. I you know, I had three friends I talked to. I have three friends right now within two miles in my church that have granddaughters transing to from wow. male to, from female to male. I mean, that's within a, like a mile practically. And I said, and what's scary? I had I had read about this doctor. I mean, this professor at Yale, and he was going right what you're saying that it's it's body dysmorphia. No, it's not like being gay. They were. You know, and he was really into what you're saying a few years ago. He was scared to death. But how did it start? Because I have three, they're all like 13. I mean, I know these people, just regular people at my church and whatever, three people. And they all their granddaughters are transing to male. How does this happen? Does the doctor start it? Do the parents? Do the kid? I mean, how does it even get going? I mean, I don't get it. I mean, wow. and they don't either. They're scared to death about this bone thing. They're... They're learning they should stuff. be. They're trying to influence. It's like the parents aren't doing a damn thing. They're letting doctors just go forward. And I just I, and it's and it's. They they could they could lose their kids if they go against no, it. That's the the situation we're in. I said, 
they all go to our middle schools right around here, and the schools are going for it too. I don't get it. I just don't. Why is it going forward like this without no stopping? And and, and when does it start? When they're three? When they're two? I mean, and it'd be different if I didn't know so many people. And I also know a person before this that is now a psychologist or a psychiatrist up north. My next door neighbor's granddaughter is is trans to male. And what's interesting about that one is. She really had a problem as a teenager, and the parents didn't know what was going on. They thought she was she was a lesbian, and so she got with another woman, and they were a partnership. And then both of them trans to male, and now they're both male. They're both doctors at Berkeley or somewhere, you know. But I said, and they're doing okay. I mean, they're together still. They're still together as a couple, and yet they're both male now. And I said, so I've known four people just in my little world, and I thought. But these th the things that bother me are these three youngs that are 12 or 13 that I don't know where it starts. I, I'm, so, I'm so confused. Like, I can see what you're saying. I agree with what you say. And I like this guy at Yale. He said what you said a few years back. He wrote a book on it and everything. He said, you know, he was worried sick. And But I said, how could I know so many people just in a regular, that their daughters are going through this, I mean, their granddaughters. Right. So, so, so the question that I, I heard was in that was that um, you know three different people, three different families from different schools who are all having a, a trans granddaughter right now, and you're wondering why, why now, why is it exploding? And it is absolutely a fad right now. It is the, the gender referrals have exploded, and there is a uh, whereas in the past it has been it was largely uh, male to female that was the predominant trans person because it, it, it was for reasons there's lots of speculation as to why. But now the female to males vastly outnumber, especially in, in, in young people uh, for, for, for transitioning. So, so uh, one theory is social contagion. They're on TikTok. They're on social media. They're hearing about it from the schools. Another one is they're hearing about it literally from the schools. The schools are teaching it as their, 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 their uh, curriculum. They're saying this is real. This is something you might be, and that's, that's fine, and, and what are your pronouns today? And they're prompting them. And if you prompt kids enough times, what are your pronouns? Eventually, they're going to try to like change it to see see what the, the how the other people react because kids are, are testing boundaries. That's that's how kids are. Um, there's there's been other fads like this that there are aimed at at self harm that have affected primarily young girls. Uh, when I was a teenager, it was it was pro Anna, so it was the eating disorders were all the rage. And that was, that was really popular, but it wasn't something the schools were teaching as a good idea or an identity. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of a, the perfect storm where technology has enabled it. Is it, is it, because, of is it because of all this media? That That's a huge part of it. Uh, the media, the video games, being able to change your character that easily. Um, and it's just it's, it's the, the confluence of, of, of social media. I think the COVID had a lot to do with it. Kids were home and bored trying to think of ways to be interesting. I was talking to three friends that you couldn't come today, all three of them, and she talked to her, her son, and then two have daughters. It's like they're just letting it go. They're not taking responsibility for their kid. They're not... They're hoping it goes away. Well, I don't even know yeah. if that or if they're encouraging it. I don't know. It just seems so odd to me. There's a lot of propaganda, too, that anyone that questions this is, is we're, we're the, the uh, anti-gay bigots of today. We just we just hate gay people. We hate trans people. We're just we're just right wing conservatives. I can't believe how how many people call me right wing and conservative. I went to UC Berkeley. 
I was a gender women's studies major. I was like the leftist. Of the, like I went to this university because it was on the left side of the country. I had right side of the country options. I wanted to be a liberal stereotype, and it just, <laughs> the plan did not work. <laughs> Do you think is it because as the age group that the confusion and then the, the social media input that they don't really think any longer? I mean, they don't, you know, there's so many... Is it that confusion that is, is causing it, or is it pressure from people? Or I, I think the, the video feedback really changes it. You know, in, in, in speech pathology, we will use something called video self-modeling because we know it has a profound impact on the brain and on how you socially reason. And when that's, that, that power is used for good, it can have really good impacts. But this, this is not being used for good. This is being used to, to encourage kids to, to, to try to, to, to push the envelope. Uh, and it's it's showing them other kids that are like them. You know, it's 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 Saturday morning cartoon commercials, but just literally on steroids, on literal steroids, sex steroids. Well, Estrogen's a steroid. Jameson's huh? been like that. I thought yeah. it was like entertainment. Mm-hmm. And, yep. A couple of things. Um, are these kids? Are they being offered the block? I mean, or doctor? I mean, it's one thing for a kid to cross dress, girls dress. Boys, boys dress as girls. You see that more and more. I mean, obviously, boys dress as girls. But are we also talking that underage kids are getting surgery and the blockers? I mean, so that there there are doctors. I mean, there's no regulation. So the, the question is, how old do these kids have to be? A doctor can't just come in and alter your kid's body without parents. Sure, but if the parent, uh, so the question was, uh, like, how wh- how are they getting access to these puberty blockers and hormones? And then um, <coughs> another person said that the, the, the parent does have to approve it. But the thing is, we are in a situation right now where parents that don't approve it are being con- accused of abuse, and the children are getting removed. And California just passed the whole sanctuary state law. So we will no longer enforce court orders from parents in other states trying to get their kids who ran away so that they could transition in this state back. So it's, it's even if the parent goes to a court and has, has a court order, even if the kid has, has run away in some situations. I also was going to say our book group, our diversity book group, April book, is exactly this, where this kid was born a boy and what the parents are going through trying to raise this child and the father and the mother are totally on the same page. Right, and then... Um, but uh, it, 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 it's, a lot is happening. One is, is uh, there, there are minimal age restrictions and WPATH is currently like attempting to dismantle them. And, and, and people have given TED Talks where they say we shouldn't have any sort of age minimum for these interventions. Is it all financial gain? That's what my girlfriend said today. There's a financial gain. The manu- so you asked if there was a financial gain. The manufacturers of the puberty blockers funded the Dutch uh, protocol. That was something came, that was coming up. Uh, so it's it's you asked about the medical insurance. Are they funding it? Yes, absolutely. Your premiums are paying for it. Your tax dollars are definitely paying for it. And it's 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 something where it gets considered uh, discrimination to not to not provide this. Uh, the doctors, I've 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 had um, 
there's doctors who go on TikTok who, who talk about how they counsel 15-year-olds about breast removal surgery. There's, there's obvious children posting on Reddit about their breast removal surgeries that, that happened in California, naming specific doctors who, when I reach out to them, they block me because they, they, they know. All right, we're going to be looking at a Dr. Tickler in Orange County who, according to the reports on uh, Reddit, uh, is giving mastectomies to 14-year-olds. And I don't know about you, but this child definitely could be 14. Uh, the face is, of course, obscured to protect the child. Um, but, but this you, Dr. Tickler? Dr. Tickler, who cares so very much about the cancer that's caused by cigarettes, is apparently treating 14-year-olds who are likely also on a carcinogenic drug called testosterone that was prescribed to them to regulate their mood. And while they were on this mind-altering, mood-altering chemical, uh, presumably, uh, he also was just uh, disabling them, just removing the breasts, like like it's medieval times. Um, so uh, Dr. Tuckler appears to, uh, according to this work at Kaiser in Irvine, uh, and, uh, and so we'll, we'll look at some other photos of, uh, his work. User me's initial meeting with him was around August 20th and my surgery date was October 20th. He told me the scheduling is usually six to eight weeks after you meet him and the pre-op is a week before surgery. I had to ask him for the date in the pre-op because he hadn't even told me yet. If your pre-op is set or if you have another appointment with him, I would ask him then. So this is how social contagion works. These, these kids get it and then they go online and they tell their friends how to do it. It appears that this uh, child is also perhaps neurodivergent because uh, she is using language like hyperfixating, which is typically associated with things like autism and ADHD. I'm hyperfixating on sharks right now, and I haven't seen any good ones for either shark or dog related pronouns. And here's some helpful socially contagious advice in the comments. By the way, I'm 14. Crazy that I got to get it this young, but I'm so grateful and lucky. I started my whole gender process at 11 years old. Persistence and confidence is key. Hi, Dr. Tony here, and I'd like to share with you an interesting patient story. I had a 15-year-old patient who is identified as trans male come into my office, and his mom was really concerned about doing top surgery right off the bat and asked the question, should we consider doing a breast reduction as sort of like a stepping stone to top surgery. Uh, I just had to basically give her my advice, which is no. Breast reduction removes tissue. It removes skin, breast tissue, and it also moves the nipple around. I might need some of those tissues in order to give you the most ideal chest reconstruction. Top surgery requires proper tissue removal and um, proper tissue uh, reconfiguration like sculpting and proper nipple placement. If that anatomy is altered and I don't have the excess tissue that we can manipulate, then you can compromise the results of the top surgery. So my advice is once you're ready for surgery, then go for the top surgery. Don't try and step into it. And not only is it a disadvantage there, it's also extra money. You're gonna be paying for a surgery you really don't need and you really don't want. Breast reduction is not an introduction to top surgery. In fact, it can harm your results and that's the last thing you want to do. And again, you're going to need all the support possible from your mental health provider to your primary care physician.
and of course, your surgeon and your family. As much as you can to round up your team, you should. Remember this the next time someone says, no minors are getting surgeries. Minors are definitely getting surgeries. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of evidence that, that they, they're doing this to children as young as 13 in, in California where they are amp cosmetic breast amputation. And that, that renders you permanently disabled. They will never be able to breastfeed. And that is a, a function that they would have otherwise had. So they are permanently disabled when that happens. They are telling them, your breasts might grow back. I have Dr. Crane at the Crane Center responding to somebody in a live saying, I've seen breasts grow back if they gain 30 or 40 pounds. Will my breasts grow back? No, uh, not necessarily. The, the only time I've seen breasts grow back is if a patient, say, gains more than 30 or 40. I'm sorry. That's, that's not, that's, I, somebody commented like, oh, I grew breasts all over my body during COVID if that's how breasts work. <laughs> But it's just, it, they're, they're taking advantage of them. It is a gender gold rush. They're going nuts. There's, there's uh, um, someone else was on, on um, uh, uh, TikTok, a 14-year-old, talking about how, uh, telling an anecdote about how, uh, according to this child, the uh, doctor commented that the child looked gender diverse and was offering puberty blockers and the parents were pissed. So it's... I, I fully, I fully believe that that's something that's, that's that's actually happening. That there are some sort of kickbacks happening, or or even well-meaning doctors who think that this is the right thing to do. Currently reshooting this TikTok because in the last one I sounded too feminine and I kind of changed my voice halfway through. Um, so, voices for you is the worst. Anyways, um, I have a fun story time. I don't know if it'll all fit into this video. Probably not. But basically, when I was 12, my doctor uh, called my mom and was like, yo, we want to talk to you and your daughter about something that I've been considering. Went up to the doctors, and she was like, yeah, so we think you're transgender. Here's some outlets. Uh, do you guys want to try hormone blockers? She explained what they were, and I was like, hell yeah. Uh, my parents looked angry and disgusted and were, like, shaking their head furiously. And as soon as the doctor left the room, my dad was like, that fucking bitch. But, um, yeah, so imagine that. It didn't fucking all fit in this video. So my doctor recommended that I do hormone blockers and that I'm transgender. And my parents were like, hell no, we're not doing that shit. That's fucking... Hate them for that, by the way. That's not the point of the story. So she gave us a couple books and was like, okay, you might not accept the idea, but it is possible. Meanwhile, I am sitting wearing cut jean shorts, a backwards cap, and a t-shirt. I don't know how it wasn't obvious to them. Anyways, so my mom hid the books from me. She didn't want me reading it. She said that it would brainwash me into thinking that I actually was. Turns out, mom, I am. But she, I ended up getting a Kindle, which is like, you know, one of those reading tablet things. And I remember the names of the book. One is called I Am Jay, the other one's called Parrotfish, and here I actually have one. It's called Beautiful Music for Ugly Children. Anyways, I downloaded I Am Jay on my Kindle, uh, and this is going to be another thing. And they're, they're told that it's reversible. They're told it won't have any permanent effects. They're told that, 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 that would you rather have a trans child or a dead child? You know, your child will literally end their life if we, if we don't immediately castrate them. And so it's like you think about it. Well, why are why are they why are they sterilizing these kids? Well, it's on the basis of of, of mental illness and other disability. Parents not 
taking charge of their children's lives. That's what because they don't. Some parents have gone to jail for for opposing this. It's considered conversion therapy to to stand in their way, and so there's con- conversion therapy bans that that you know we 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 pass thinking well this will this will pe- prevent like horrific stories of. of of gay kids getting beaten trying to make them straight. Well, those those have been redefined and expanded to mean any sort of therapy that even questions should 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 we remove Johnny's testicles? Is that a good idea right now? That's conversion therapy now. So so the medical professionals are really hamstrung right now. So is this within the last few years that this has sort of boomeranged into? It's definitely exploded in the last five years, um, but I remember when I was at Berkeley in 2010 being exposed to the idea that maybe we should give all the kids puberty blockers and let them all choose their puberties. This idea that, like, well, children can't consent to natural puberty. It's like, I'm sorry, are you, are, we're not God. <laughs> it's almost like changing your race, then, you know, like they used to alter, you know. Yeah, but you're not allowed to change your race, though. That's 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 the weird thing to me. You're not allowed to change your racial characteristics. You're not allowed to Asian fish. There's even racially constrained gender identities. Like <laughs> I don't know if you've heard the term two spirit, things like that. There's certain genders you're not allowed to be if you're if you're white. Well, only only some people can be this or that gender. So it's 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 your your deeply held sense of personal identity unless unless you're brown, or unless you're white, unless you're this or that. The question was, uh, does this happen at an older age? Um, which, does the transitioning? So, uh, a lot of older people are transitioning, so that, that last, uh, second to the last one uh, was, uh, I believe, 24 when she started to transition. And so that it's definitely something that young adults and, and even, even uh, older adults are doing, um, being, being told a lot of the similar things. Like if you think you're trans, you're trans. Scott Nugent is a very prominent um, activist now who got a transitioned in her... 40s, I want to say, um, to a trans man and got a phalloplasty and just had nightmarish complications from that. A phalloplasty is where they take a lot of skin, usually from, from like your arm, leaving a massive scar and just kind of, you know, fruit roll it up and, and, and sew it up and just hope for the best. It's, it's absurd. Um, and, and almost died, as a lot of them do. Uh, and uh, so now, now she goes around and gives similar talks like this, um, and uh, was in uh, Matt Walsh's documentary, "What Is a Woman," talking about her experience. And it's like I feel like bullet narrowly dodged for that for me. Like, like that could have been me. Then that was several of my friends at Berkeley. So they're actually not educated on the consequences, right? To what they think is, you know, like almost a fast game. You know, you could change it and then change it back, but they don't, they don't see the extreme consequences that can ruin them for life. Yeah, exactly. So the, the comment was that, that they're, they, they see this as something that will be easy, that, that it's an easy thing to do, and they're really not educated as to the consequences. And a lot of them, they think that they're educated, and so then when the consequences happen, then they were like, well, you know, I, I, I was told that a fistula could happen. I was told that a stricture could happen. I was told that infection could happen. But I don't think any ethical medical provider thinks that it's good enough to teach them the word fistula. Like, in my opinion, if, if you're ethical, you keep reasoning with them until they really understand 
and and if <laughs> you know it's it's at some point if if they can't see why it's a bad idea, you should be like I shouldn't provide this because they don't understand. Like if, like it's, it's and at some point your your understanding as the expert will exceed theirs, and 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 they're really relying on you to 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 tell them what's what's likely. So so if you haven't been close to someone who's chronically ill, who's had sepsis, had post sepsis syndrome. So I was, I was very close to someone that had that and, and deteriorated over a period of a couple years and has since passed away directly as a result of getting a septic infection. And that post-sepsis syndrome is, is where you can get things like brain injury and widespread organ damage from one incident of sepsis, which is a, when a, an infection that can start as a local infection gets into the bloodstream and goes throughout the body. So, so one person that I responded to um, who's a, um, a male to female who, who had a vaginoplasty recently, I, I responded to his video, and then about six months later, he posted a video from a hospital bed saying that he had been found cold, gray, and lifeless and near death from sepsis, and, and, and they had had to, he, he just had breast implants put in, but a kidney infection that presumably started from the vaginoplasty area had gone septic in that time and, and turned into a massive infection in this new wound that had been created, and, and just he almost died. I just thought I'd fill you in, let you know where I am. Um, so, as you know, I got my 800cc gorgeous boobies, amazing. Something went wrong, they got infected. Um, boyfriend came home, found me on the sofa, totally grey, unresponsive, cold, thought I was dead, so took me to the hospital. Um, had loads of tests and everything, found out boobs were very, very infected, which gave me a kidney infection. And then on top of that, I got sepsis and then kidney failure. I nearly died, um, so I had to have a rushed um, double mastectomy, so I've got no boobies whatsoever anymore, and um, now they've been giving me antibiotics, trying to keep me going um, since then, which cleared that infection up, but then I've got a secondary infection, so they've had to cut open both of my incisions and just pack it full of gauze, and changing that every day just to keep the wounds clean to get rid of that infection, so I don't know when I'm coming out of hospital, but it won't be for a while, but that's just it, I'm, I'm here, I'm okay, just not feeling too great. And we, you know, I don't. Who knows what sort of organ damage was done during that period where his blood wasn't circulating enough to keep him warm? You know, to to be cold, gray, and lifeless is not a not a neutral thing. For who knows how long he was found that way. He's a young guy too. He's like twenty seven. So, what are the next steps for you as an educator? What are you, what stage are you in your study? Uh, my next steps, I'm, I'm in the process of writing a book on this that's going to be a book version of my videos uh, where, where I basically talk about all the research I've done for what's, what's happening, why is it happening, why is it bad that it's happening, and then here's a bunch of case studies. So it's, it's going to be the aim is like what anybody considering these really needs to know, really needs to, to follow these, see how bad it can get and how unending it is. Because I followed some of these people now for a couple years. Um, and it's, it's it, there's there's been no happy ending yet. I saw a hand back up back oh, here. Yeah. Um, what uh, what laws are in place, and is counseling required for a transition? Uh, the question is what what laws are in place, and is counseling required? Um, there, we're often told that counseling is required, but there's something called the informed consent process now, and that's a very Orwellian name for what's happening, which is where instead of having any sort of psychological evaluation um, to rule out mental health comorbidities, including, you know, dementia or, or some other acute psychotic episode, things like that where they, they really might not be able to consent. They're, they're, they they're just have to sign off on something saying, I understand the risks and benefits 
When a patient seeks hormone therapy uh, in your practice, you can, you can consider the use of the following in, informed consent model. Um, looking at completing all of these itemized things um, till you get to a, uh, to a yes. If there is some area where you have not completed, you should go back and reassess or reapply and uh, move forward until you can get the, the patient through and in, initiated on their hormones. Right. One of the things... And it's, it's really, to, in my opinion, more to protect the doctor than the patient. A lot of these um, providers, you know, you can, you can get these hormones um, at the first visit. Uh, sometimes you, the, the visit could be online, like Plume, which hilariously sent me something. I, I signed up for their mailing list, and they sent me an email saying that... Um, uh, uh, <laughs> said gender affirming hormones can improve your orgasms whether you take the hormones or not and I'm like are you <laughs> it's a real thing they sent me <laughs> I was like I don't think you proofread this sir ma'am do you think some of these kids are really gay or lesbian and they're now, that's not they're not being diagnosed or? Uh, the question was are, are some of these kids really gay or lesbian or are they not not being diagnosed absolutely yeah, I de- that de- definitely that seems to be overrepresented. How did you know? I mean, you've been through a lot of this personally. How did you come? How did this start for you? I mean, I, I'm just really curious. I mean, how? I just want to know more. You know, I just want to know. Um, I, I mean, I, I had, like, developmental issues related to what, well, it's now considered autism, but at the time it was a different category. Um, and so I had issues related to that and, and other, other sorts of traumas um, that, that affected me. But, no, I, I wasn't the classic, like, I'm a boy from, from age three. It wasn't really until I got to college, and, you know, it was just the cool thing to do. All my friends were doing it. You know, it was being taught by our professors that this is a thing that, that exists. Uh, Judith Butler, who, who is a big big name in, in the gender movement, is um, a Berkeley professor. Um, so, so while I may have had uh, some discomfort with uh, trappings and feeling like I didn't like being seen as less than because I was female, which who does, um, it wasn't really until I got to college that, that it was suggested to me uh, socially that, that perhaps it's because you're actually a male in some way. Actually, it's because you're supposed to be a man. You, you feel like a man. Maybe, maybe things would be better. Maybe your problems would go away if you just started dressing like a man and, and acting more like a man and thinking of yourself that way and telling people you felt that way. You were and, modeling for androgynous clothes, weren't you? Oh yeah, that was fun. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I, I didn't. I wasn't chosen for a model, but I definitely went to an audition <laughs> where, where where it was it was a androgynous uh, it was suits for women, but like cut like men's suits, but cut for women's bodies. So so that was that was fun. Um, I've seen your hand up for a bit. Um, early on, you mentioned that uh, therapy that you got was very initial helpful. Okay, now I'm retired teacher and. Um, for 38 years, when we began to have therapists come in, I remember the first one that came in saying, my position here is to be slow and steady. Whatever you need or you think they need, that's what I'm here for. And there were a variety of issues, many of them you didn't know about, you know, 
intellectual talk. And I get the feel with the TikTok and all that kind of stuff, it's like uh, a smash, bam, and boom, you know. And that is not, as educators, as therapists, as psychologists, right. psychiatrists, we have one in our family, I mean, you you're they're slow and steady and so it was the logical thing that parents were like oh good you know it, I have time to walk with him or her to get through whatever it was it wasn't a rush thing but this seems like these kids or adults or whoever are so enamored in the presence of being yeah rather than that wonderful calmness about okay, you know, this are the stages. Yeah, I mean, am I wrong or is is that? Uh, so, so the the question was like, uh, why does it seem like gender therapy is so different from regular therapy, where the regular therapist is kind of like waiting and being responsive to the client's needs, whereas gender therapy, and I'm going to paraphrase, is is more like uh, is 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 more like uh, um, indoctrination. Um, and and uh, I, I, I fully agree with that, that, that when you go to a gender therapist, and I think that was the big difference between me and then a, a, a friend I was very close with in college, she went to a gender therapist who fast-tracked her to breast removal in, I think, about eight months, and she was, like, 22, and it was not long after she had also been hit by a car, and so she was post-TBI. The car accident happened in early January, and the breast removal was in May of that same year, um, and it's... Yeah, and and at the same time she was doing this practice of binding. So so and the binder hurt and didn't feel good, and so she was really looking forward to not having to wear the binder anymore. So it's like it's 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 a it's a scavenger hunt in a way, and it's 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 makes me mad thinking about it. Obviously, whereas um, you know as I'm a, I'm a speech pathologist, and, and a big portion of what we do also is is therapy. And we're also called speech therapists, uh, so it's different from psychotherapy. But, but it's, it's still something where it's client-centered, client-responsive. And then the therapy that I got, which was not gender therapy, I didn't seek out a gender therapist. I just sought out a therapist, and I let her come to her own conclusions about what I needed. And I talked a little bit about my gender stuff, and I, it was obvious from my appearance, I thought. You know, I had, I had the, 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 the haircut. I, I talk about how the, 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 the trans rites, R-I-T-E-S, the rituals. So there's, there's the trans right of the first haircut after coming out. There's the trans right of changing your wardrobe. There's the trans right of binding. And then you can get to these more extreme trans rights later on. And so I, I talked a little bit about it, but mostly I just kind of talked about what I needed to talk about that day. And she listened. And, you know, I, I stopped relying as much on my support group or my, my peer support who were were that was contingent on on performing transness to be accepted and relying more on my therapist. And the more I did that, and she she at no point pushed me to do anything regarding gender. Uh, And at one point I kind of just announced one day that like I didn't think that I needed to do this anymore. And she was like, well, isn't that who you are? And I was like, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. And it's like, so she didn't push me either way. And in fact, if anything, she was like, are you sure? You know, um, but it was it was just it certainly wasn't the the horror stories you hear about conversion therapy. There 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 was nobody like beating me trying to get me to, to be like ah I want to be a girl. <laughs> it's just that that I I had a, a, a preoccupation with what I thought I needed 
that was just a preoccupation that was based on the fact that I didn't know what I needed, and I really didn't feel very happy. So I, I, do, I do feel like that there's there's something wildly unethical about the idea that we have to fast-track them to surgeries and hormones and drugs on the theory that they'll definitely try to kill themselves if we don't, if we don't do this right now. You know, it's, 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 it's nuts. It's, 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 it's an assembly line, and there's a trash can at the end of it. Now it's become yep. so political. That's unfortunate that the right has picked up this and now making it a huge political you're saying it's unfortunate the, mm, that the that the right has picked it up. I saw I saw Trump's uh, announcement about how like I'm going to ban gender therapy. The left wing gender insanity being pushed on our children is an act of child abuse. Very simple. Here's my plan to stop the chemical, physical, and emotional mutilation of our youth. On day one, I will revoke Joe Biden's cruel policies on so-called gender-affirming care. Ridiculous. A process that includes giving kids puberty blockers, mutating their physical appearance, and ultimately performing surgery on minor children. Can you believe this? I will sign a new executive order instructing every federal agency to cease all programs that promote the concept of sex and gender transition at any age. I will then ask Congress to permanently stop federal taxpayer dollars from being used to promote or pay for these procedures and pass a law prohibiting child sexual mutilation in all 50 states. It'll go very quickly. I will declare that any hospital or healthcare provider that participates in the chemical or physical mutilation of minor youth will no longer meet federal health and safety standards for Medicaid and Medicare and will be terminated from the program immediately. Furthermore, I will support the creation of a private right of action for victims to sue doctors who have unforgivably performed these procedures on minor children. And it's like, I'm, I'm really kind of, you know, I feel like legislative bans are probably probably like our last, last thing we should try. <laughs> There's so many unintended consequences from that. But I do think educating medical providers and removing the prohibitions on other kinds of exploratory like uh, discussions about why you think you're trans. You know, I think we need to, to, to stop forcing people to go along with it. I think that'll do a lot more than trying to, to, to outright ban it. But, um, you know, I saw that and I was like, am I going to give a speech at a Trump rally this year? Is that going to happen? Does he watch my videos? Damn it. <laughs> it's not going to help my left-wing cred. <laughs> well, what would you do as people, like, say, for instance, today I had a 12-year-old at home, and all of a sudden she said, I'm a boy. I'm where does a parent start, or where does a support person, or a grandmother, or what would you do if you if you saw it in your family, and what could you do? I mean, would you stand back? Would you? I mean, work? I mean, there's gosh, it's just overwhelming. I don't know where to begin. It's a good question. I, uh, the question is, what, what what do you do when your child comes home and says, "I I'm a boy now." Somebody your your daughter says it. I mean, it's 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 really difficult in this climate when there's serious consequences. So you have to like tread really lightly because you might end up losing your kid. You, th- she might get taken away. There's something called Sage's Law happening where they're pushing for that, and I forget which state it is, um, but it's a horror story, a true horror Did you story. Lose your child because you didn't let them have surgery. Or- yeah, oh yeah, because you didn't affirm. 
because 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 that and that's that's considered child abuse now and so so they can be removed put into foster care and then the state will help them transition it's and so so there's there's this, this horror storage story with this this girl named sage where that happened to which i, I don't want to misrepresent the details but it there it was is a horrifying narrative where where it involved like the, the parents were just stuck in this nightmare and, and really awful things happened to her uh, in the course of they put her in a i know that they put her in a male um group home where bad things happened i am sage's mother better known as nana i adopted sage after my son died when she was still a baby she's been through six foster homes by then but we loved her and she blossomed into a joyful lively girl who made music and art puberty began and COVID hit and she was treated for depression and anxiety at times very severe her teachers shared any concerns with me so her treatment could be adapted. The transparency ended in August of 2021 when Sage started high school. She started a public high school and she told me that all the girls there were bi, trans, lesbian, emo, and she wanted to wear boys clothes and be emo. Because I saw it as just a phase, it was fine with me. But at school, she told them something different. She was now a boy named Brooke Draco with male pronouns. Sage asked the school not to tell me, and they did not tell me, even though I informed them of her mental health history and medication. If I had known, this would be a much different story. She was terribly bullied. No one told me, but boys followed her, touched her, threatened violence and rape. Something happened in the boys' bathroom, but for two days, the school told me nothing. They kept meeting with Sage alone, and she became so distraught They called me to pick her up. That evening, I found a hall pass labeled Draco, and Sage told me she was identifying as a boy and that her counselor said she could use the boys' bathroom. She'd been jacked up against the wall by a group of boys. She was crying, terrified. I said, just stay home. We'll figure it out. That was my last conversation with Sage for five months. The night she ran, she thought to a young friend she'd met online, She left a note saying she was scared of what would happen if she stayed. The sheriff, FBI, search dogs were called in. I dropped to my knees in prayer. Nine days later, the FBI found her in Baltimore. My baby had been lured online, sex trafficked by D.C., then Maryland. She was locked in a room, drugged, gang-raped, and brutalized by countless men. It was night. The FBI told us to pick her up in Maryland the next morning. We packed our cars with blankets and stuffed animals and and arrived by 8 a.m., but we were told we couldn't see her and were summoned before Judge Robert Kershaw late that afternoon. They didn't even tell Sage that we came for her. We finally entered the courtroom, and Sage appears on a huge Zoom screen from a prison cell. She looks tiny and broken, and I cry out, I love you, Sage. Sage responds, I love you too, Nana. But attorney Anissa Khan rebukes us. She is a he, and his name is Draco, not Sage. We were floored. What? Khan accuses us of emotional and physical abuse that we are misgendering her, even though we just learned she claims to be trans and we're willing to use any name and pronouns to bring her home. My husband was so tearful, he kept forgetting the new pronouns, so the judge had the bailiff remove him from the courtroom. I was pleading for my child to be returned and treated for her unspeakable trauma. 
Judge Kershaw told me if I used the word trauma again, he would throw me out too. For over two months, he withheld custody. He housed Sage in the male, in a male quarters of a children's home. Sage told me she was the only girl and repeatedly assaulted. She was given street drugs by the other kids. And Khan told her she didn't care. She just wanted to win the case and all the way to Supreme Court if necessary. Khan tried to prove abuse, but we were eventually cleared by both states of all charges. Sage later told me Khan had told her to lie, that we hit her. Khan even had Sage's school counselors testify against us, though they barely knew Sage, and they didn't know us at all. Khan told my precious child I didn't want her anymore. I found out Sage never received any of the letters I sent her. Sage ran from the children's home and disappeared for months. They told me she might already be gone forever, but I couldn't give up, and I finally found a tip on her social media that led the marshals to her in Texas. She had been drugged, raped, beaten, and exploited. This time, I was able to be with her for the traumatic rape exam and to bring her home. Back in Virginia... She entered the mental health facility that Judge Kershaw had ordered, as it would affirm her as a male. The therapist began pressuring her to have her healthy breasts removed. Sage was too scared to protest. But she asked me to secretly buy her girl's clothes because she wanted to be a girl, but keep them in the car. It took a kind lawyer, Josh Hetzler, to secure her discharge. After almost a year, Sage was finally home, safe, alive. Sage is receiving professional trauma care. The first trafficker has already been convicted. Sage has nightmares, panic attacks, rape-related medical issues, but there's hope. I told her she's not broken. She's just scarred. And part of that hope is that in courageously sharing her story, others will be saved. Sage said she doesn't know who she was back then. She wasn't a boy. She just wanted to have friends. But her school, the judge, the attorney, and the doctor were all blinded by their ideology. The consequences for Sage were unspeakable. Please don't let ideology harm another child. Let parents do our jobs. We know our children best, and we love them a million times more. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Good job, Good job. As a parent, you don't have any rights for your children. I mean, I went through that just for other reasons, having teenagers. And to this day, I don't know anything that was said or diagnosed with this particular child. Wow. Because I was not allowed to know because she didn't give me permission to know what the doctor had told her. That's so dangerous. And so you're, you're and saying that, that there's... years ago. I mean, yeah. it's, so I'm sure it's worse now. Yeah, so so that I mean that that the, the, you're saying that that you had a, a custody of a child and you didn't know what her medical diagnoses were yeah, because, because she decided in her yeah her therapist or somebody that I could know right because of HIPAA laws she had all the rights and it's that way today and 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 so that's that's also the the rationale now for um, allowing schools to to not tell the parents that a child has decided to transition at school and then she gets social reinforcement at the school. And, you know, when you think about a child, they, they have behaviors because they're children. They're still developing. They don't have adult judgment yet. And so they're doing different things and seeing what sort of reinforcement they get. They're seeing how, how do I gain control from the situation. 
um, from that. And so, so it's, it's hard to know exactly what to do, and there's no hard and fast rule for how to react to that kind of situation um, other than, than, than doing what you can to ta- take a light touch and to think about, am I reinforcing the behavior by fighting it? Am I teaching her that this gets her control of the situation by getting into fights with her about it all the time? Would, would there be a negative consequence to just not reacting? You know, with, with, to, to give an analogy, sometimes when, when a, a child has a behavior of hitting me, that behavior is to gain control of the situation and to communicate some sort of a need and otherwise to, to react to their own feelings in the, the way that they know how. Um, and so, so one intervention for that, which is you know, not always safe to un- undergo, depending on the child, but one intervention is, is to withdraw attention, and which you can do by just getting, getting blank and like counting to 20, because children's brains are still developing. They, they don't think very far ahead. They really don't. And so emotionally, I'm talking about. So you can actually extinguish a behavior by withdrawing the attention for the behavior because the child fundamentally wants to have a, 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 an interaction with you that, that is comfortable for them that they control in some way. I'm just thinking of my three, three friends. I've known them for years and what trauma they're going through, you know, yep. just because they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 the, the trauma is unimaginable to me. I'm, I'm, I'm glad sometimes I don't have any kids right now. Um, any other questions? <laughs> I would like to thank you for bringing this oh, very sensitive topic to a real Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for celebrating your personal thing. I really respect that. That's very important. Oh, sharing, sharing about my, my history? I, I mean, I think that's just so important to put in context that, that you know, I'm coming from this group. And, and when I was originally exposed to the, 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 op, the idea of cis and trans, you know, I self-selected among the trans people. I, I don't see them as other. I really don't want them to be hurt. I don't like that they're being hurt. I don't like that my friends at school got hurt. Do you see any hope of uh, this being uh, eventually uh, rectified or so the, the question is, is, do I see hope for the future? Um, and I definitely do, or I wouldn't be doing this. If I saw no hope, I, you know, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed. But I do think that, that the more people become aware of what's going on um, and, and, and the true depth of the horror... Because a lot of these people, you know, they, 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 they think I'm trans and I'm, I'm, I'm around trans people. I know trans things. I've, I've learned the trans, like, ideas. They don't know the true depths of the horror until they're into it. And then they post updates on TikTok that I react to. So other people can learn from that. You know, it's an ethnographer's dream to what's happening with, the, with social media, at least. Nightmare, I guess. Um, but it's, it's, I think that it has to come to a head. It has to reach a peak. I think that we saw a similar situation with the satanic panic I think it's been put into overdrive because of this. I think also also lobotomy was a similar situation. And I think that we might bring, be able to bring it to a head faster because of modern technology, whereas in the past it took longer for people enough people to become aware of it that, that we were able to push against the, um, the moral panic, the mass hysteria that we're in. Because we're, we're, we're in a period of moral panic where we're all like, oh my gosh, all these kids are about to commit suicide unless we better, we better act on this right now. You know, we've totally somehow missed this whole group of kids, and they've been suffering. We have, we have to, we have to get on it. 
but but I think that once enough time passes and enough people become educated, enough detransitioners come out and say, hey, wait a minute, what, what they're saying about us is wrong. Sometimes it is just a phase, and that's okay. It actually is fine for it to just be a phase sometimes, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't cut, cut, cutting yourself is not the answer, usually, if not always. <laughs> so I think that... that I think that we will get past this. The question is how many people will be harmed and have to live with the harms and how expensive it will be and how much damage to our laws there will be and the status of women. Thank you so much.